Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! <laughs> Pack your bags. And get ready. You're going to Vegas. With someone who knows Vegas inside and out. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast. It's one thing to try to talk about issues that are challenging and so forth and preach a social message. It's another thing to actually do it. We've got somebody here who's really taken on a tremendous effort and really excited to talk to her about it. She's a four-time Emmy Award winner, which is something, and a longtime Vegas resident as well. Her name is Deborah Richards. And uh, Deborah, first of all, great to have you here. The new movie, which should be coming out shortly, Move Me, No Mountain. First of all, when is that coming out? Is that uh, later this year? Well, yeah, it's coming out later this year. We're uh, in post-production right now. Um, So the next stages, we have to deliver it to the distributor, and then they kind of, uh, you know, see what's going on in the the landscape of films, and they kind of calendar it in and figure out the release date. So it's scheduled to come out sometime this summer, um, but I won't know when until a little bit later on in the summer. We'll, of course, tell everybody when that's close to coming out, because it's an exciting uh, project here. Talk about a, a, a difficult social message to deal with. You're talking about somebody who just kind of gives everything up. Kind of tell us the story of Move Me, No Mountain. Sure. It's about a real estate agent in Las Vegas called Jenna Anderson. And she um, basically, she, she can't get over the guilt of her daughter's death. So she decides to punish herself and kind of peace out of society and voluntarily become homeless on the streets of Sin City, Las Vegas. Yeah, and that's a really interesting look because it's not the story of somebody who all of a sudden had some ill, you know, some illness. Obviously, she's got some difficulty because of this, but this is somebody who's voluntarily does that. Somebody who was a success. It's really, uh, and I think this happens more often than we realize. Yeah, well, what's interesting about it is um, in order to deal with the uh, subject matter with authenticity and dignity, um, we partnered up with Las Vegas Rescue Mission, and um, they basically set up a lot of interviews for me with uh, people that, that used to be on the house that, that are now off the streets. And so I got to speak to a lot of these people, um, you know, and, and get their first-hand accounts. And I didn't want to, you know, there's so many reasons why people become unsheltered. And I didn't want to, um, you know, portray unsheltered people as just, you know, drug addicts or drunks. There are so many reasons why people become unsheltered, whether it, whether it, it, it's, um, you know, their home burnt down in a fire in California through no fault of their own, or whether they're veterans dealing with mental issues, or, or whether they, they are addicts, or whether they are, um, you know, people that are punishing themselves, or there's a whole host of reasons. And so in this movie, we wanted to depict all those different reasons. So all the unsheltered characters that you meet in the movie all have different reasons for, for being on the street. So we felt that was the most authentic, uh, or, or, yeah, um, authentic uh, way to, um, you know, portray the subject. 
And the word that keeps coming out is dignity. And, I, and boy, with this subject, it's just so easy to drive by people and say either it's their fault or, or otherwise just, ah, oh, that's too bad. Life can be hard and move on. You kind of got into that. Everybody has their own story. And what, what a better way to, to do it than to really go to the rescue mission and talk to the, not only the people that work there and understand and deal with this, but also people that are actually there. Was, was that important? You wanted to take... Uh, Make this really authentic, I guess. Oh, absolutely. In fact, we um, we also partnered up with Shine Alliance Foundation, who do, um, not a lot of people know this, but there's 700 miles of uh, storm drain tunnels in Las Vegas. And while there's a population of about 30,000 unsheltered people in the city, about 10% of them, like about 3,000, live in these underground tunnels. And when you're work- walking on, on the, the famous Las Vegas Strip, you'll see a literally four feet above people's heads that are living underneath you. And so I spent a lot of time in the tunnels, um, meeting people, um, going out and giving out supplies and stuff and hearing their stories, you know, sharing a cigarette and and treating these people with dignity, like you say, um, to get these, you know, authentic stories. And and so many of the um, stories in the movie uh, are actually true stories that happen to someone, you know, um, on the streets. And... One of the things we're really excited about is uh, 10% of the proceeds of this movie uh, is going to go to four local charities that, that have a direct impact on those most at risk in our community. That's fantastic. Because I, I, I think it's things like this. you got to understand these stories and so forth before you can even really address the problem. Everybody talks about it. Everybody has, has issues with it. Nobody likes to see it. Yet you got to know what, what you're up against. And I think that's really kind of understanding the situation. Well, yeah, we, we, we had to. Otherwise, otherwise it's, it's kind of offensive if you're just, you know, talking about, if, you, if you're talking about the Holocaust and, you, and you've never, you know, spoken to a Holocaust survivor or done your research, then it, 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 you, you're just, you know, it, it, it's not fair to the people and it's not fair to the subject. So we wanted to be authentic. I wanted to get it right. Um, but that's one of the, the hardest things about being a writer and a director is is empathizing with these heart-wrenching stories and and putting myself in that position for months of writing these stories and researching this and stuff and it's um you know it, it had a heavy impact on my own mental health because i'm trying yeah. my hardest during the writing phase to, to empathize and to and to go to these dark places and and to put myself in these dangerous situations just so that you know, we could be as authentic as possible. Um, so it was a really interesting process. And, um, you know, we're very, very proud of the movie, and I can't wait to share it. I'm excited to see it. Now, you know, another thing you did, too, which uh, a lot of people may not know about, but I think it's fascinating, you got predominantly females cast, which you don't see, and you also have representations even behind the camera. That's a really important thing. Again, a lot of people talk about getting a woman's point of view and so forth. It seems uh, to me this is a really important thing. Was that something that you intended to do even before you took on the project? Well, I mean, you know, I I, I can't help but um, they say write what you know. So I can't help but draw from my world, right? And in my world, there are a lot of women and there are a lot of people of color. And there's a lot of variety. I think that's one of the beautiful things about Las Vegas. It's a very, very diverse place. Everyone is here from somewhere else. So it's a lot more um, diverse than maybe other parts of the country. So 
Um, my story is a very Vegas-centric, so I, I can only write what I know, and what I know is diversity. Um, you know, I grew up in the Middle East, in Bahrain, where I was in the min- minority. So um, so it, it's very easy for me to, to see the world through diverse lenses, if you like. But we're, we're extremely proud of the fact that we were recognized for our gender parity by being awarded the Reframe Stamp by Women in Film and the IMDb. And this is a really prestigious um, award that recognizes gender parity um, above and below the line, in front and behind the camera. And only 100 movies a year get this really, really um, very prestigious award. And some of the other movies include Wonder Woman, uh, Shape of Water, Crazy Rich Asians, uh, Nomadland. So we're, we're in really, really good company there. And it's also... Um, you know, considered like a, a, a mark of quality. So we're very excited about the representation in this movie. Yeah, you know what else is exciting? I look at your background and I think you've got a fantastic background because you understand every part of this. I mean, you're a writer and director, but it, it's much more than that. I mean, you, you got into all the stuff, whether it's color, sound, you're involved in all these different things. I would imagine that has to help too because you're seeing the film kind of in, in your mind, at least, in kind of a finished aspect, and you know all those things are just so important. Well, I wish I could say that, um, you know, the, 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 the finished movie is exactly how I envisaged it. There's, there's this thing in filmmaking called The Gap, mm-hmm. and The Gap is um, what you envisage the movie versus what you end up with, you know, on, in the can, so to speak. And, and it's the goal of every filmmaker to try and squish that gap as much as possible, right? You know, I'm, I'm constantly, um, you know, striving to do that and to grow as a filmmaker. But, um, you know, I've, I've always been a crafty and resourceful filmmaker, and that's, that's why I was given the opportunity to make this, this speech film. Um, but, you know, it's, it's always been out of necessity. Like, when I decided I wanted to be a director, I didn't have anything to direct, so I had to write something. And then once I made it, then I was like, well, who's going to edit this? So I had to learn how to edit. And I think as a female filmmaker, I've often had to fight for my seat at the table. And and the best way that I've been able to do that is just know as much about every single department as possible and get my feet wet in as many different departments. And as a result, I've won awards in, um, I think, maybe six different departments. Um, in, including four Emmys for, for um, writing, directing, uh, editing, screenplay. So, um, so I'm a really kind of all-rounded filmmaker, and I think that's, you know, what I bring to the table as far as a, a, a visual storytelling. Well, that, that, that talks about you as a person. I mean, I find it fascinating. Five-time world bartending champion. <laughs> I mean, so that, that must be something, too, because, again... I would imagine a lot of people might rest their worlds or something like that. But are you just one of those people, Deborah, that are just kind of a perfectionist and you want to get to the bottom of every part of everything that you do? You, you know what I think it is? Um, one of my heroes was Steve Jobs. And he had this habit of, of, of not accepting the world the way it was and bending and shaping reality to suit himself. And... I, I subscribe to that. I'm, I'm not one of these people that says, oh, I, I, I don't like the way that is, so I'm just going to accept it. Instead, I'm one of those kinds of people that says, I don't like the way this is, so how can I, how can I change this? How can I change the system? How can I 
bend the rules? How can I reshape this situation so that it suits my worldview and it suits me? And I encourage other people to do the same because all too often we, we, we get caught in this, this false ideology that, that uh, things are the way they are and that's just too bad. And, and the reality is we all have the power to shine and we are all so powerful. And, and once you accept that and acknowledge that and embrace that, you can move mountains. Well, and would you tell somebody that says, like, well, I don't want to go out to Hollywood and just go to uh, some of the big studios and hang around there? It sounds like your recommendation would be more of a thing is learn your craft and you don't need to be there. I mean, you've managed to, which we're happy to see, you, you, you do this all from Las Vegas. We love that. Yeah, and like even even this idea about going to Hollywood, I would much rather bring Hollywood to me. I don't want to leave Vegas. I love Vegas. I've been here 22 years. Um, I'm proud of this city. I'm proud of the people here, and I have a you know a, a deep love and connection to this town. So, you know, when people say, "Hey, you should move to Hollywood," it's like, well, you know what? I'm going to bring Hollywood here instead. And that's what I mean about being that kind of person that just shapes reality to suit myself. I want to talk about one other film from last year, uh, Dark Lights, which is a different kind of film. Talk a little about that, because that's, a, a, as I understand it, right, is a short film, and that is available to see now. Yeah, so so Dark Lights really um, catapulted me into the spotlight. Well, well actually, I, I won four Emmys in 2016 for a short I did in film school at the College of Southern, uh, College of Southern Nevada. And I think at the time, everyone just thought it was a fluke. And to be honest, part of me thought it was a fluke as well. <laughs> and, you know, winning those awards, I was very arrogant. I dropped out of film school, and I was like, this is it. I'm going to take Hollywood by storm. And and I didn't. I, it, it took me quite a while to to figure out, you know, to figure out what I didn't know. And, and as a result of that, I made this short called Dark Lights, which is a... Um, kind of like a, uh, a, a cyberpunk neo-noir horror set in Vegas. And um, it's just a 10-minute short, but it, it's, it's really visually appealing. It has like 70 VFX shots in it, and it goes from the, the most glamorous um, heights of high-rises in Vegas to the, to the scummiest corners of the dirtiest streets downtown. We got them both. Um, <laughs> yeah. We, we got them both, but it, it explores that dichotomy. And that came out in January last year. It yeah. then went to receive uh, like 40 honors at film festivals and a whole bunch of awards. And it just came out on Tubi um, just like last week as part of this feature anthology called The United States of Horror where each short in the film represents a different state in America, and we got to represent Nevada. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's really cool is our short is the first short in that film, and the whole film is narrated by Pinhead from Hellraiser. So that just came out a couple weeks ago, and that's getting a lot of attention. But it was because of that short that it, it brought all the attention and it brought me the funding to be able to make Moving the Mountains. We're, we can't wait to see uh, Move Me No Mountain. And in the meantime, we can see Dark Lights. And you say that's on Tubi. How do we find that? T-U-B-I, right? Yeah, Tubi. It's a free streaming service. Um, so you can just go on there. I don't think you even have to create an account. You can just go on to Tubi.com and start watching movies. And if you look up the United States of Horror, 
then Dark Lights is the first short on that. So that's where you can watch that. But if you want to get advanced notification about Move Me No Mountain and, and um, you know, get, get information about uh, advanced screenings or even just watch a little teaser trailer about it, mm-hmm. if you go to the website movemenomountain.com, you can see a 15-second little teaser trailer for the film. Um, but you can also put in your email in the pop-up, and then you'll be the first to know about um, advanced screenings and red carpet opportunities in Las Vegas. Oh, I think that's exciting. I think everybody needs to do that. You know, one last question as we talk about this stuff. Was financing difficult to do? Because I know that's always a problem with this thing. But, of course, you come out, you have a great reputation, which always makes it uh, a little bit easier. But is that always a challenge with these kind of things? I think it was the single hardest thing I've ever done in my life, raising the money for the movie. It was um, it's such an interesting experience because um, – it took me about uh, four months to raise the $200,000, and um, I went through hell with it. What, what's really strange about it is no one wants to be first to the party. No one wants to be the first person to put money in. But once you get to like sixty, seventy, eighty thousand, 80000 then all of a sudden people are crawling out of the woodwork to give you money. It, it just makes no <laughs> sense. Um, but it was a very, very difficult situation because I think for the first like two months, I was stuck on $5,000. And here I was telling Hollywood, telling the world, telling my friends, telling my peers, yeah, I'm making this movie in a couple months, and it's going to be great. We're going to raise all this money. And meanwhile, I'm thinking, holy smokes, I got five grand in the bank. My biggest fear was that I was going to end up with, like, professional egg on my face. You know, so there were... Um, there were some, uh, you know, a couple steps forward and then one step back. And, and what's crazy is the movie was financed by about, uh, I think, like nine people. But to get to those nine people, I had to pitch it to like 200 people. And, and it's not just like you do the pitch and then they give you the money. It's like um, you get a hold of someone, you ask them for the email, then you send them the materials and you check up a couple weeks later, then they you know, eventually get around to checking it out. Then they say, let's have dinner when it comes to town. Then you go to dinner. Then they leave town. Then a few months pass and they come back to town. You go to dinner with them and their wife. And then they say no. <laughs> and, and so you go through that process like literally hundreds of times. And you're at different stages of that process with different people. So it was extremely difficult. And it put me extremely out of my comfort zone. But um, ultimately, you know, looking at the project from the beginning, it was just like this. It's funny to use the um, to use the analogy of a mountain because of the movie's title. But it really was like this giant mountain in front of me, and I was like, "How the hell am I going to do this?" And now I'm on the other side of it. It's so empowering to know that I've, I've conquered, we've made the movie, and, and now people are lining up to give me money for the next movie. So. See, see, that's great. And, and that's a great lesson for any filmmaker, too, that, hey, you know what? you got to do, you know, in addition to learning all those parts of it, you got to learn that part because without financing, and it's like anything else in the in the arts, you gotta you got to find somebody because you can't do it on your own. You know, unless you're, you're born into a multi-billionaire's family, you're not going to be able to do that on your own. Own, so. Oh my gosh, Timor makes the dream work. I mean, there was over 100 people involved on this movie. And, um, you know, you got to remember it's the movie business. Half of that is business. And so if I don't create a value proposition for my investors, and if I don't create a, um, y- you know, a good return on investment yeah. and, and get them their money back within a reasonable amount of time, and, 
if if I don't do all of those things, they're not going to want to finance my next movie, and then I'm out of a career. So I had to backwards engineer it to ensure, um, you, you know, we would achieve one of the two goals, which is, um, you know, for it to be a financial success by making at least two times its negative cost, and for it to be a crit- critical success. So those are the two goals of the movie. So I had to reverse engineer the whole thing to make sure that I would fulfill those goals. I think I think we can't wait for this. Move me no mountain. We're going to keep an eye on that. We'll let people know on the show. Uh, and if they want to find out more about just you, uh, isn't you have another website, don't you? Uh, is Debbie and Pink? Is that right? Well, actually, yes, it's, it's just a website. But I mean, the best way to get to know me and and to get in touch with me is just follow me on Instagram at Debbie and Pink. That's D E B B I I N P I N K. No E in the middle. Just Debbie and Pink. And, um, yeah, that's my Instagram. I'm pretty active on there and share all my, 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 my life as, as, a, as a movie director and all the behind the scenes stuff. And, and, uh, you, you know, I just kind of share my life and what the reality of it is to, to be a, a full time film director. Well, you've got a fascinating life, and you're a very successful one. We will follow you all the way through this. Thank you, Deborah, for being with us. Thank you, thank you. I'm really excited to share the movie. I think people are going to get a kick out of it because they're going to see Vegas like it's never been shown before on film. You know, usually in, in these kinds of movies, in Vegas movies, you just see them inside of the casinos. We show every nook and cranny of the city and all of its, uh, you know, glory and, 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 and shame. Really excited to share it. Thank you so much for having me on us.